0: Chapter Nineteen of the Brand of Silence. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. The Brand of Silence by Harrington Strong, Chapter Nineteen, Coadley quits. Murk, compelled to ride back to the city in the taxicab with Marie, spent the time in ordinary conversation with the Amazon and told himself repeatedly that she was a great woman, a dangerous state of mind for a bachelor. The only reason Murk wanted to remain in the vicinity of the cottage was to catch a sight of the countenance of the man who had worn the mask. As far as the cottage itself was concerned, he had noticed a signboard on a street corner not far from it, and he would be able to locate it again if Sidney Prale or Jim Farland thought it necessary. Marie stopped the taxicab near the park, and Murk got out and gallantly offered to pay the bill for his enemy, but Marie would not allow it. "'Hope to see you often, and to get to know you better when this little scrap is over,' Murk made bold to say, and then, chuckling at her retort, he started walking down the street. He did not care to ride, for it was not so very many blocks to the hotel and Murk wanted time to formulate in his mind the report he intended to make to his employer. Prale was waiting for him, and Murk told his story in detail and without embellishment. "'So, Kate Gilbert had you freed, did she?' Prale said. "'And she told the others that she would quit them if they used any more violence?' Murk, old boy, when our foes begin fighting in their own camp,' It is time for us to begin to hope. A house divided against itself cannot stand, as you probably have heard. She certainly panned the man who wore the handkerchief over his face, Murk said. I think I'd know him again, boss. He talked a good deal, remember, and he got careless toward the last and used his regular voice. And I watched his hands. Boob didn't have sense enough to wear gloves. Anybody but a boob would know that a hand can be recognized as easy as a face. "'Let us hope that they make a lot of mistakes like that, Murk,' Prale replied. "'I'll be glad if we ever solve this confounded mystery. It's getting on my nerves.' They remained up until one o'clock in the morning, but Jim Farland neither visited the hotel again nor called them up, and so they went to bed. They did not rise early, but had breakfast in the suite and took their time about eating it. After that, they waited for Farland to arrive or telephone and give orders to tell news. Farland did not come, but Attorney Codley did. Murk admitted him, and the distinguished criminal lawyer sat in the window beside Prale, a grave expression on his face, his manner that of a disconcerted man. "'I gather you do not bring good news, judging from your countenance,' Prale said. "'At least I have not come to say that the case against you is any stronger,' Coadley replied. "'I'd like to speak to you alone, Mr. Prale.' "'Certainly. You may go into the other room, Murk, and remain until I call.' Murk obeyed and Sidney Prale bent forward in his chair and looked at the attorney again, wondering what this visit meant, what was coming, half fearing that the news would be ill after all. "'Mr. Prale,' Coadley said, "'I have come here to your apartment to tell you that I wish you to get another attorney.' "'I beg your pardon?' Prale gasped. "'I wish to withdraw from the case, Mr. Prale.' that is all. An attorney does that frequently, you know. "'But I want you to handle my case,' Prale said. "'I have been given to understand that you are one of the foremost criminal lawyers in the city, and you have done so much already. I insist that I withdraw, Mr. Prale. I shall be ethical. I shall give the man you name in my place all the knowledge at my command regarding this case.' "'and I shall see that the change does not embarrass you "'or place you in jeopardy. "'The court will grant extensions if they are necessary. "'Farland gave me to understand that my alibi now "'is of such a nature that the case against me may be dismissed. "'I had hoped that you had come here this morning to tell me so.' "'I fancy that any good attorney can get the charge dismissed,' Coadley said.' BUT I DO NOT WANT TO BE FREED UNDER A CLOUD. I WANT THE PUBLIC TO BE SURE I DID NOT KILL RUFUS SHEPLEY. I WANT TO HAVE THE PUBLIC KNOW THE IDENTITY OF THE MAN WHO DID." THAT IS WHAT I THOUGHT, AND THAT WILL TAKE CONSIDERABLE TIME, PERHAPS, CODLEY SAID. AND SO I WISH TO WITHDRAW. IF IT IS A QUESTION OF FEE... NOTHING OF THE SORT, MR. "'I am sure you would pay me any reasonable fee,' I asked. "'There is no question regarding your financial ability.' "'May I ask, then, why you desire to leave the case?' Sidney Prale asked. "'I'd rather not state my reasons, Mr. Prale. "'Just let me withdraw and make arrangements with the court "'after you have named the man to take my place. "'The bail arrangement will stand, of course.' "'So you do not care to tell your reasons?' Prale said. "'Mr. Coadley, a banker refused to handle my funds. "'A hotel manager ordered me out, you might say, for no good reason whatever. "'I understand that I have some powerful enemies who are working in the dark "'and who cause these annoyances. "'Do you wish me to understand, Mr. Coadley, that they have been to see you?' "'Do you wish me to think that you are under the thumbs of these persons, whoever they may be?' The attorney's face flushed, and he looked angry for an instant, but quickly controlled himself. "'I do not care to go into details, Mr. Prale,' he said. "'Then it is the truth,' Prale said. "'The big criminal lawyer is not so big but that others can force him to do as they please.' Let us say as I please, Mr. Prale. Then you think that you have a good reason for withdrawing? I do. In other words, something has been told you that convinced you I am not a fit client. Is that it? And instead of telling me what it is and giving me a chance to refute the charge or explain, you simply take the easiest course and believe my enemies, do you call that an example of the square deal?" "'Let us not talk about it further, Mr. Prale,' Coadley replied. "'I feel quite sure that you have a complete understanding of the situation.' "'But I have not. I seem to be able to understand nothing in regard to this affair of which I am the central figure. I would give half my fortune, I believe to have an explanation, and be able to set things right. "'No doubt you would be willing to give half your fortune to set things right,' Coadley said. "'It is your privilege, of course, to say that you do not understand. "'Mr. Prale, you must see that this interview is painful to me, and it must be painful to you. Why prolong it?' "'As far as I am concerned, this interview may be terminated at once, sir.' Sidney Prale exclaimed. "'I'll send you a check for your services as soon as you submit your bill. "'And please do not neglect to do so at once. "'I'll inform you as soon as possible of the name of the man I select "'to fill your legal shoes in this matter. "'This is satisfactory?' "'Very well. "'Merk!' "'Merk hurried in from the adjoining room when he heard Sidney Prale's call.' "'Show Mr. Coadley to the hall door, Murk,' Sidney Prale said. "'And while you are about it, please close that ventilator in the corner of the room. It creates a draft, I am sure, and Mr. Coadley already has cold feet.' The attorney glared at Prale, and then got up and walked quickly across to the door, which the grinning Murk held open to let him pass out. End of Chapter Nineteen